0: Well, this morning I had intended uh, to launch our new fall series that would carry us right up to Thanksgiving, and in the fall series, my plan I'd shared with you was to look at the topic, uh, the the series is called Rise Above, and loosely looking at the life of David, some key events in David's life, and how out of uh, his life, some key events that he was able to rise above that God used him. And and so we're going to, I decided to pause that though. There's been something that God's been really challenging me in my own life. And and I've been, my wife and I, we've been praying over it and talking about it. We've been talking about it with our kids. I've been talking about it with the pastoral team. And it's something that um, I decided just to pause the the Rise Above series for a couple of weeks. So we'll begin it. Right now, the plan is we'll begin it the very last Sunday of October, and it'll carry us right up through mid December or so. But this morning, I want you to look with me uh, in Titus chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul writes this, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A couple of weeks ago, I had during our staff devotions, we meet on a, a weekly basis. We have a staff meeting and we'll rotate and different ones will share a devotional thought, share something that God's been speaking to them, and I had been in my own personal devotional time, I'd been reading it, and then I was in Titus, and I had read that Titus 1-1 where Paul says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And one of the things that I challenged our pastors with, that I'm just reminded of and I'm convicted of when I read this passage, is it's a reminder of our purpose as leaders. It's a reminder of our purpose as, as a pastor. That our goal, my goal as your pastor, is not to make service entertaining. My goal as a, your pastor is not to find a way to make you feel good when you come in. Uh, my goal is not to, to look to meet all of your preferences and your goals and your desires. And I, you know, I don't say those things to disappoint you or no, no way do I say those directed at anybody. But I look at that and I realize that my commitment and our commitment as a pastor is not to, not to in some way meet your entertainment needs. Our goal is, if you look at what Paul says in Titus 1.1, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and here's what he says. He says, my purpose is to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He said his commitment is to further, to advance the faith of God's people, to advance the faith of those who have been trusted to him, and he says to advance the faith and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So he says that our faith advances. One of the things that we looked at when we spent time in in the letter of James, we looked at that all through the summer months and the spring months, Um, is that we talked about with faith, and when you look in the New Testament, many times we have this idea now in our culture that faith means I believe in something. Um, You'll hear athletes, they'll talk about, well, how did you overcome? You just got to have faith. Uh, and people just talking about you just got to have faith, and people have faith in faith, and faith in music, and faith in teammates, and faith in whatever, all the different things you have. But when you look in the New Testament, the model that we're given, the, the, the design that is given to us is that faith is not merely just a belief, that faith, and, uh, faith in action in the New Testament, faith, what we believe, and action, they go hand in hand that what we believe translates into action, that if it doesn't translate into action and it doesn't change how we're living our life, it doesn't change what we're doing, then in reality what we're saying we believe, we don't really believe. That's what, that's what James talks about, and that's something we see in the New Testament. And so in Titus, what Paul says is he says his commitment is to advance the faith, to advance the application of what we believe of God's elect and their knowledge, their understanding, their knowledge of God's truth uh, that leads to godliness. Now the phrase godliness, the word godliness is something that we can hear a lot about in church. It's a phrase that you've probably heard a number of times if you've been here. Um, I've grown up in church and I've heard the word godliness used a lot of times or in the New Living Translation it says to live a godly life. But I just like to sometimes, and we do this in our Moving Forward class, we'll take a topic, we'll take a a doctrine or something, and we'll take a little bit of time to just talk about it so we make sure that everyone's on the same page, because I realize that we have a number of people from a number of different backgrounds, a number of different Um, faith expressions, a number of different things. And I've talked with individuals. I've talked with many of you. And so to help you understand when I'm talking about godliness and when the scriptures talk about godliness that we're talking about the same thing, I came across a definition that I think helps understand it. It's a little bit wordy, but we'll talk about it. And it's from the Jewish Encyclopedia. It says it this way. It says, Godliness can be defined as godlike character Manifested in character and conduct expressive of the conscious recognition and realization of man's divine origin. Again, a lot to look look at, but look at what he says. He says, godliness is defined as this, as godlike character. So our character, what we believe and understand about godliness is manifested in our character and in our conduct, but it's not just, not just that we express it in our character and our conduct, but look at why. It says, because we live with a conscious recognition and realization of man, man's divine origin. In other words, godliness is, is a change in our character and a change in our behavior that is attached to a conscious awareness to our divine design. To the original purpose, the way God has made us. So, godliness develops in our lives as we make an intentional Mindset. We live with a mindset, I have been made to live differently. God has designed my life to live differently. God has created me to be a different person. He shaped me to be different. He's shaped me to think different. He's shaped me to live differently. And there's a number of places in scripture that it begins to help us understand the way God has originally designed us, the way he's originally designed you and me. If you look in Genesis chapter 126. When God created mankind, it says that he made him in his image. He made mankind to be just like him in his image. His image was stamped upon, pressed upon the soul of man. And so God begins to remind mankind of the image that they have been made in throughout. It happens in Leviticus. You see it all throughout Old Testament, New Testament alike. Uh, 1 Peter 1.16 helps us see this is what God says. He says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So when we talk about godliness, we talk about a godly lifestyle, we talk about uh, being a, a living, uh, living a life that's godly, what we're referencing is living a holy life. Living a life the way God has designed you to live. Approaching life from the purpose and the focus of how God has called you to live. So back to the definition we had of godliness. Godliness is, is a behavior in our conduct Behavior alignment in our character that reminds us and points us back to the original design that we have been made to be like God. We've been made to be holy. Does that make sense? And so it's this call that God has for you and for me in our lives to be holy. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to be different. Um, Many times when when we hear uh, the, the word holy or we hear holiness, our minds often and immediately go to the whole idea of legalism. And when it comes to legalism, legalism in a sense is the list of things that we can't do or the list of things that we're required to do in order to be more like God and be in relationship with God. That it's this list of things that we shouldn't do or we can't do the list of things of, of what we shouldn't be a part of, or it's the list of, and it includes the list of things that we should be doing, the list of things that, that need to be a part of our lives, and that we take those, and those become our mindset or our approach into relationship with God. I can remember growing up, uh, a family that was in our church. It was a husband and wife, and they had two older daughters, and, and then they had a younger son. And their approach, they're, they're kind of the house rules for holiness. Was that the women, the ladies, the, the mom and the two daughters? They had to wear long dresses, almost past well past their knees. They had to wear long hair. They couldn't wear makeup. Um, but whenever we would, my sister would have the two sisters over, and they would come over. The, the two The two sisters of this family, as they would come over, they would put away their long dress. Uh, they would borrow my sister's jeans. They would put on her makeup. They would pull their hair up. They would do everything that was not a part of the house rules for holiness that they had. And what they were exemplifying and what they were, re- what they were showing is that, that true outward change and outward regulations have no impact and no effect upon our hearts. See, it's not just outward change that God is looking for. It's not just outward change assuming that it brings inward change. It's inward change that produces an outward lifestyle. And it's inward change that only the Holy Spirit can produce in you and, and in me. That he desires to change us from the inside out. He desires to reproduce God's holy nature inside of us. And that begins as we submit our lives to him. Now many times out of our concern for legalism and our, our attempt to avoid it, we can come to a place where we, we, cho- we begin to neglect God's call and our personal responsibility to holiness. Just because God, in Scripture, it talks about it in, Col- in Colossians, it talks about it, that we're not to move into the error of legalism. What we do that earns relationship with God. At the same time, Scripture also speaks about the error of looking and thinking that God's grace gives me freedom to do whatever I want. That God's freedom, does, God's freedom, God's grace sets me free from sin. It doesn't set me free to sin. That there's inward change that only the Holy Spirit can initiate, and that inward change that he initiates in us is intended to lead to outward lifestyle. One of the best ways that I can think about uh, and help you understand when it comes to God's grace and his call to holiness in our lives in the era of legalism is that as a follower of Jesus Christ and our call to holiness, we change because of relationship, We change because of our relationship with God. We don't change for relationship with God. We change because of his grace. We don't change to earn his grace. Now, the truth is, when it comes to understanding that, that we change because of grace, we don't change to earn grace, or we change because of relationship, we don't change to earn relationship, that many times the changes on both sides of that equation are going to be exactly the same, but the difference is the motive and the heart and the purpose behind it. That it's rooted in relationship. It's rooted in our relationship with him, the freedom of who he has called us to be, and his desire to shape and change us to, and to mold us to be more like him. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, and he gave them a promise in John 14 to his immediate disciples. But then as we read it and understand it today, we understand that the promise Jesus was giving to his immediate disciples is extended to his current disciples. So it's extended to you and me as well. That promise that he gave them is that when he was leaving, he was going to send another just like him, and the one who was just like him, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, would come and take up residence in them. And he, but then he gave them this promise. He says, he will be with you forever. That he'll be with you forever. And so the truth of that, when you take that promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, and it's a promise that he extends to you and to me and to our lives right now, is it's a reminder is that if you're a Christian, if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've come to that place of repentance, turning from sin, turning from self, and turning to Jesus. You may have just done it when we received communion. It may have been a decision you made this week. It may have been a decision you made 45 years ago. But when you made that decision to yield control of your life to Jesus, to yield control of your heart to Jesus, what the Bible tells us is the Holy Spirit The representative of God himself comes and takes up residence inside your heart. So if you're a Christian this morning, just think about the reality of that truth, that there is never a space or a time or a moment or a place or a challenge or a difficulty or a dark place or a dark valley in your life. There will never be a place that you are without his presence. Dave, Psalm is, says it, David said it in Psalm 139. He says, even the darkest dark cannot hide me from your presence. That there is not a place or a, a space in life that you will ever face that the Holy Spirit will not be there with you. Let that truth, just the reality of that, sink in to your current circumstance. Let it sink into your current depression. Let it sink into your current struggle, to your current temptation. There is never a place or a moment or a space in your life that you are without the Holy Spirit. That he is there with you to be the comforter. He is there with you to guide you. He is there with you to shape you to be more like him. And the key part of understanding who he is is understanding that as he takes up residence inside of us, his desire is to lead us in change to continue to develop our relationship with him. He desires not just to be uh, an inward resident that just is tucked away somewhere in the corner of our heart, but rather he desires ongoing and growing relationship with you and me. And so to best understand the, the relationship that he wants with us, he's going to lead us in changes and things that are not consistent with who he is. Now, there's an example that I've used a number of times here. I've used it a number of times here in the pulpit. Um, I use it whenever, with each segment that I teach in our Moving Forward class. And in that Moving Forward class, we, I take time to talk in the one segment about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But if you've seen me use this example before, then, then all that means is you know where to say amen. So you get to, to hear it again. But I've used this example before when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I'm holding a yellow highlighter. And, and many times, especially in our Americanized way of thinking, when I hear someone's name, like you hear my name, you hear Steve Silliman, you're, you're just thinking, well, two parts to his name, first name, last name. And we just think about those parts to our names. Or if you hear Teresa Silliman, again, you're thinking two parts to the name, first name, last name. When we hear Holy Spirit, it's very easy in our Americanized way of thinking to think about our first name, last name, and, and kind of in a sense, maybe not necessarily thinking Holy, first name, Spirit, last name, but kind of that approach. We just think about it as his name. But the best way to realize it is that Holy is not necessarily a part of his name as much as it's as a description of what he does. So much like this yellow highlighter I'm holding, yellow is, is not his first name, highlighter is not his last name. It's a highlighter, and it's a highlighter that's committed to making things yellow. It's a highlighter that has one purpose, and that is to make things yellow. The more I allow this highlighter to be applied to wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, the more it will make things yellow. And so when I think about the yellow highlighter, and I take what I have just shared about the yellow highlighter, and I apply that to the Holy Spirit, but think about him as being the Spirit who makes things Holy. That the more the Spirit Spirit who makes things holy is allowed to do his work, just like the yellow highlighter, the more it's allowed to highlight, the more it's going to turn things yellow. The more the Spirit is allowed to work, the more he's going to make things holy. The more he's going to make things that represent his nature and who he is. That when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're describing who he is, the quality of his nature, and how he reproduces that inside of us. And so just think about that for a second when it comes to the continual presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the continual presence of him being with you in every space and in every place in life. For the Christian that many times, if we aren't careful, we can begin to define and look at Christianity and the spirit-led life by defining it and looking at it as something that what the things that I do or don't do but it's to realize that the thing that makes you different is not what you do or don't do in life. The thing that makes you different is as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the spirit who makes things holy living inside of you. That means that as a student, when you're walking down the halls in your classroom, towards your classroom, you're walking through the lunchroom, you're walking through the gymnasium, you're walking through the locker room, the thing that makes you different is not the conversations you choose to be a part of or don't choose to be a part of. The thing that makes you different is not the things you choose to look at or the things you don't choose to look at. The thing that makes you different is the spirit who makes you holy living inside of you. That's what makes you different for our Penn State students as you're on campus the thing that makes you different is not the different movements you choose to be a part of or don't be a part of it's not the different things and the avenues and all the things that bombard you in our culture and in our world and in our campus the thing that makes you different is the spirit who makes things holy living inside of you for every one of our parents and every one of the adults living here this morning whether are here this morning whether you're living as a single parent whether you're a father, you're a husband, whether you're, you're, a, you're a, a spouse, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you work in the workforce or you work from an office at home, Whether you're a teacher at the university or a teacher in the elementary schools, whether you're a businessman or an Uber driver, wherever you're at, whatever you do, the thing that makes you different is not the things you do or don't do throughout the day. The thing that makes you different is the spirit who makes things holy living inside of you. That's what sets you apart. Now, because we have a spirit who makes things holy living inside of us, he is naturally going to begin to lead us away from things that are not consistent with his nature. If we're truly living in harmony with him as the Holy Spirit, then our lives are not going to consist of certain things because they don't fit with the direction that he's leading us. Our direction and our desire are for the things that are consistent with him and consistent with his nature. I wanna show you this in scripture for just a second. I just wanna highlight a few verses. There's many more that we could we could look at. But just to highlight something for you, first John three nine tells it, puts it this way. New living translation. Those who have been born into god 's family do not make a practice of sinning because god 's life or it's depending on the translation you're reading, because god 's seed is in them, so they can 't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Just look at this for a second. Those who have been born into god 's family, if you 've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, you 've been born into god 's family. Those who are born into god 's family do not make a practice of sinning because god 's life is in them there's a new life living in you there's a new value system living in you. There's a new mindset living in you. What this is telling us is that when we become a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us, the life of God living in them, that he begins to reproduce his desires in us. In other words, he begins to reproduce in you a desire for holiness. That if there is not a desire in your life to continue to become more like Christ and less conforming to the world, then it's time to look at and say, do I have the life of God living inside of me? It's that simple. That's not what Steve says. That's what God says. He says that he will produce his desires inside of us. If you could go to the next verse. I believe you have Titus 2. It says, Titus Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It says the grace of God has appeared that teaches us to, to, towards godliness. In other words, as I've already said, the grace of God is not merely a freedom from sin or a freedom to sin, that it's, it's, it's God's grace through his spirit is meant to move us forward in growing in godliness, in growing in holiness. He teaches us to say no to the things that are not consistent with where he's leading us, and he teaches us to say yes to the things that are consistent with how he is leading us, that he's developing in you and he's developing in me a greater desire and a greater longing to be holy Acts 15 one more I'll show you Acts 15 28 this is in the, the early church had met together in Jerusalem, uh, a number of people were coming to Christ, people who were non-Jews, people who were Gentiles who were coming to Christ and they were bringing all this baggage and stuff in life and some of them were, were bringing uh, sexual practices and, that are not consistent with scripture, they were bringing eating habits, drinking habits, things that were not consistent with scripture. And so the early church began to struggle with what does this look like? What does following Christ look like and it, how does that translate into life? And so they began by this, by trying to recognize what is, what, is a, what is a biblical practice that points us towards reminding us that we're not a part of this world and what is a cultural practice that, that we need to find, find room for. But This is where they start, Acts 15, 28. It says it seems good, so they, they began to pray over it and then they started their letter to these believers this way. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then he goes into the requirements. But notice what he says. He says it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. Sometimes we get this flip flopped. We go with, if it seems good to me, then it must seem good to the Holy Spirit. But they start with, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. See, the truth is, there's a lot of things in life that if it's not good if it's not good to the Holy Spirit, then it really doesn't matter if it's good to us or not. If it's not good to the Holy Spirit, if it doesn't fit his value system, if it doesn't fit the direction he's leading, if it's not consistent with his nature, if it's good to the Holy Spirit or not good to the Holy Spirit, your opinion really doesn't matter. I mean, that's just kind of how, how God's Word says. Your opinion doesn't carry weight. It comes back to, What matters to the Holy Spirit? And seeing if it matters to him is where we always start, recognizing is it consistent with what he's doing? Is it consistent with how he's leading? The Holy Spirit's continued commitment to us is to lead us into greater measures of holiness and to lead us more and more back into the original image of God. And I really believe that this is so often, most often, where as a follower of Jesus, we miss it. Because the Holy Spirit's leading in my life, and the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, involves both a response and a responsibility. That we carry a response and a responsibility to respond in how he's working, and how he's leading. When someone's leading, it always requires a follower. And so if he's leading us towards his nature and leading us towards holiness, it involves us being willing to follow. The responsibility is going to include continued change in our lives and in, in, in our habits and in our lifestyles and in our practices and our speech and our entertainment that continues to align us more with who he is. That is this desire to align us more and more back into his original design and his nature. One of the things I think we should keep in mind when it comes to sin, um, we talk about, we, can, we look at in scripture, we can see the victory that Christ has had on the cross over sin. But what you and I have to remember is that sin's nature, Romans 8, 7 describes it this way. Sin's nature is hostile to God. that It's it's an enemy of God. Sin's nature will always have enmity with God. The cross is an example of how God deals with sin. That it has to be put to death. There's no middle ground. There's no peace with it. There's, There's no finding some sort of compromise with it. That sin's nature is always hostile to God. And so regardless, as you and I go through life, regardless of how our positions in life change, whether we go from single to married, or, or we go from married to single, or we go from living in Michigan to Pennsylvania, or we go from living in Pennsylvania to California, or we go from being um, no parent to being a parent, there's a number of things. Regardless of what phase and stage you find yourself in in life, our relationship with sin never changes because it's always hostile to God, that it's always opposed to everything that God is and everything that God wants to do. The only thing that I really believe changes when it comes to sin is our awareness of it and its influence upon our life, being aware of how it's constantly trying to creep in and seep in and steal our hearts away from what the Bible describes as being our first love, Jesus Christ. I think the best way to consider it, the best way to to look through your life, to look through your entertainment choices, to look through your home, to look through your parenting, to look through your conversation, is if the Holy Spirit were visible in the room with you, what would change in how you do things? If the Holy Spirit were visible in your house, if he were visible in your living room, if he were visible in your bedroom, If he were visible while you're looking on your screen, what would change? If the Holy Spirit were visible, what would change in in our entertainment choices? If the Holy Spirit were visible in the room, what would change in our language? If the Holy Spirit were visible in your workplace, what would change in your practices? If the Holy Spirit were visible in your private space, what would change in your habits? What would change in, and you can fill in the blank. See, the reality is whether or not you and I see him, he's very much there. And he desires for his values. He desires for his presence to shape and mold everything that we do. The Holy Spirit is continually working to lead us away from things that are not like him and to lead us towards things that are. I want you to see, it how, see with me how uh, it looks in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. Well, I just want to look at a few verses here and then a couple more things and we'll, we'll close. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Just to pause there for a second. He says in verse 1, he says, follow God's example, or to be, some translations would say, to be an imitator of Christ, to be an imitator of God. I think most of us would, would look at that and we would say, well, I am looking to be an imitator of God. I want to be an imitator of him. And he's talking about love, walking in love towards others. But then he continues to elaborate, if you're committed to being an imitator, to following him and to being an imitator or, or a follower of God to, to do that, it would be almost, like you you picture him walking and they walk step by step. You've ever seen a a parent walking through the the snow and the the child walking and putting their foot in exactly the same steps of where their parent walked so that they were getting the exact same steps. And it says, do you want to be an imitator of God? Do you want to walk in the way that he's calling you to walk, walk in the way that he's calling you to live? He says, then here's what it looks like. Verse three, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or even a hint of any kind of impurity, or even a hint of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. When he says these are improper, in other words, they are not right. They don't fit into the steps and the direction that he's leading us. He says there's not to be a hint of any type of immorality. There's not to be a hint of any type of greed. There's not to be a hint of any type of impurity whatsoever. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. In other words, there should, there's no room in the lifestyle of someone who's following step by step in the spirit who's holy. There's no room in the lifestyle of one who's walking that lifestyle for their language to be different in different places. That there's, it's not conditional on location or company, it's conditional on the one who lives inside of us. The spirit who is living inside of us who makes things holy. So he says that because of this, there should, be no, there should not be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. There's not off-color jokes, there's not adult-level language, there's not any, any type of that. He says, for these are out of place. In other words, they're, they're not fitting They're not consistent with the direction. They don't, they're not, it's like a different language than what the Holy Spirit's leading us to to lead. He says, don't make a place for what should be out of place. He says, instead, rather we should be filled with thanksgiving. And then look in verse five. He says, for this you can be sure. No immoral or impure person, impure or greedy person. And when he says, for this you can be sure, look at this, verse five, is that still out? For this you can be sure. In other words, it's an established fact. We can't cheat God's system. We can't cheat his ways. There are certain principles that he's established, and he says, for this you can be sure. No one who's living an immoral, impure, or, greedy, or a greedy person, such a person is an idolater. He uses the word idolater. You know what idolater is? It's someone who says they, they might be able to come and worship God one day, but they're worshiping other gods throughout their life. So such a person is serving a different God. And that person does not have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That he says that it's not fitting. It's not consistent with the work and the walk of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to give you a picture. I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. When he says that in verse 3, he says not to have a hint of any type of immorality in our lives. I just want to give you a picture real quick of what this looks like. So I have a, I have a pitcher of water. Now we have in our office, uh, we have uh, there's like this filter thing on the faucet. I'm not really sure which way is on, which way is off. I just get water out of it. And, um, but I can tell you, Pastor David helped me, so we do have filtered water that's here. And I can show you. I can take a drink. It's good stuff. <laughs> now, I have a picture of, of, so of pure water, something that I think every person here, if you were thirsty, I'd offer it to you, and you'd come and drink bef- behind it. If you're not a germaphobe. Sorry, I just drank out of it if you're not a germaphobe. But then I stopped by our custodial closet... And I grabbed a bottle of Johnny Bright heavy-duty clean bowl cleaner. This is an industrial-strength acid-based toilet bowl cleaner. It says, and I won't even read to you what it says. It just says, don't don't drink this, don't put it in your eyes, your mouth, or anywhere that gets inside your system. But if I were to take this, and I were to take this pure water, and I were to take this industrial-strength, acid-based toilet bowl cleaner. And I were to squirt just a hint of it in there, not a lot. If you're sitting closer, you might be able to see a little bit of it go through the bottom. Slight hint of pink, not, not a whole lot. Now, as I hold this, I put just a little bit in, just a hint, how many of you would take a drink? Not one of us. Not one of us would want to take a drink of this water. It still looks pure. It still came from a pure source, but now it's tainted because it has a hint of industrial strength, acid-based toilet bowl cleaner in it. And when you and I go through life, and we go through life and we say, God, I love you, I worship you, there is none like you, you are holy, 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 holy. But then we go home Sunday night and there's certain shows we turn on, it's like, oh, there we go. Or we go through our week and we are just a part of things. We have our morning devotion, we set aside and protect our time with God, but then we go through the rest of our life and there's this person at work who really knows how to push your buttons. And you find that when your buttons are pushed, there's language that begins to come out of you that's not consistent. Oh, there's a little hint. And we continue to go through life, and I could go through again and again with all the examples of all the little hints that we allow to slip into this. And you and I would look at this and you would say, no one in their right mind would really drink this because no one wants industrial strength, acid-based toilet cleaner in their system. But you need to understand that when when God tells us he doesn't want a hint of these things in our life because he has one who makes us holy living inside of us, that when you and I make those little compromises in life— This, the way you're looking at this water right now, this is what your life looks like to God. And in Revelation, Jesus uses a word, he says it's lukewarm. And you can look at the response that he says for someone who's living a lukewarm, compromised lifestyle. That it's this call to be different. It's a desire for us to be different. And the thing is, now if I wanted to, and I wanted to go back through and and to isolate and pull all of this this toxin out of this water, it'd be impossible to. Because And and when it comes to our lives and our compromise and our sin, that it's impossible to take it and try to make it stay isolated in one way or another. In Romans uh, 6.19, it describes the nature of sin. It describes the nature of sin in you. And it describes it as being ever-increasing wickedness. In other words, it's ever-expanding. It's ever-influencing. That means that compromise in one area of your life always affects other areas. That means compromise in your viewing choices feeds a habit of lust. That means compromise at the workplace feeds an issue at home. That means, and I could draw lines from all sorts of different pieces and parts of our lives that we're trying to deal with over here, but we don't realize the root system is over here because of the compromise that we've allowed in. And it's this reminder and this call that God has for our lives to not settle for a middle ground, To not settle for mostly pure with a little bit of toilet bowl cleaner, but rather to recognize that God's call for your life, his call for my life, his call for our thinking, his call for our speech, his call for our habits, his call for your sexuality, his call for your viewing choices, his call for your parenting, his call for your workplace, his call for everywhere that you find yourself is to represent the one who's living inside of you, and that is the Spirit who makes things holy. One final verse I want to give you, and then we will close. Ephesians 5, if you're still there, Ephesians 5, verse 13 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Can you put verse 13 one more time on the screen? But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It says everything that is illuminated becomes a light. But it says that the Holy Spirit is willing to expose and shining his light into our lives and expose the things that are not consistent with him. I can remember when my wife and I, when we were first married, the first few months of our marriage, we've been married 25 years, this past June we hit 25 years, and we were married the first few months of our marriage, there was a new show that had been launched that fall, and this was the very first show that was launched, the very first kind of the... um, the premiere show of it became a long-running uh, sitcom that was on TV, uh, something that many of our friends at church would talk about, just a number of circles would talk about. But we jumped in, we began to watch it, and just loved watching it, and it was kind of something we'd look forward to. Just that evening, the two of us didn't have kids yet, the two of us to be able to enjoy this show. But then God began to work things into our lives, and I can tell you the name of the show, I won't, but I could tell you the name of the show, uh, and many, you would all have heard of it. But God began to work, do a working in our lives, and he began to stir in us uh, his calling and his purpose in our lives, and we, we were both, we were kind of refilled with the Holy Spirit. We'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit at an earlier age, but had just never stayed current and, and walking in that infilling and the flowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and so we were, God was just doing this fresh work in us, and just this greater awareness to his presence, his desire for our lives. And so there was a time as we kept praying, and our prayer was, God, would you, align our lives with yours, and, and prayers much like that. God, we want more of you, and, and God began to reveal that in our, to answer that prayer that we want more of him, he was going to require more of us. And so as we were sitting there, one time we were sitting there, and we were watching this TV show together, and I, mean, we can, I think we can still remember it clear as day. We're sitting there watching this show, the same show that we'd watch week after week after week after week after week, and it was like this Ephesians 5.13 verse. Can you put that on the screen one more time? Are you still there? It, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. It was like the Holy Spirit just flipped on the light. And as he flipped on the light, all of a sudden, what we, would, we were enjoying watching, and the, the, the jokes they were making, the innuendos they were using, the, all these little things that are, were very much a part of just the culture and, and the show, it was like the Holy Spirit put the light on it, and all of a sudden we looked at it and we're like, what are we doing? What are we exposing our lives to? We're, we're watching and finding entertainment and people doing the very things that I would never consider doing as a follower of Jesus. And as we saw that, we began to back away, we recognized, we began to talk, and we quickly brought an end to that show in our lives. It wasn't, well, let's finish this season. It wasn't, well, let's see how so-and-so ends up. It was a matter of, God, we don't want any more hints because before long, hints add up. And it begins to affect everything that you want to do in our lives, and so we begin to walk away from that, and we continue to see God's work in our lives. And we've had at other times and other places and other points in our lives that He has He has examined our hearts. We we desire to keep our heart and our lives open, and we've come before Him with an openness and an honesty. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit keeps his word, and he turns the light on in the dark areas of our hearts and our lives and and illuminates compromise and sin that we don't even see. And friends, I believe for many here this morning, I don't speak this calling out individuals. I'm not sharing this thinking, well, so-and-so's been doing this, so-and-so's been posting that. That's not what I'm at. I'm just telling you, this is what God's been challenging me and my wife on. And if he's challenging us on it, I believe he's challenging you on it. And I believe it's all part of the steps of where God is leading us as a church family. And he's leading us as individuals to be more and more like him. So that as he entrusts his presence into our lives, and by his spirit he's working in us, that we can better represent the spirit who is holy living inside of us. Won't you stand with me this morning as we prepare to close? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. We invite you to turn your light on in our hearts right now. we invite you to show us where compromise has become the norm we invite you to show us where we've allowed sin to be the norm we invite you invite you right now in the way that only you can to illuminate the things that we don't see to show us things in our lives things in our thinking habits of our family things that make us who we are, things that are part of our lives that we've become so comfortable with. I pray, God, that you would show us those things that are out of place and those things that are not fitting with your desire and your work within us. So, Lord, right now, we submit our hearts to you. We submit our lives to you. And we invite you to do a freeing work in us that only you can do. We invite you to do a purifying work in us that only you can do.